Hi, this is Anna, and again, I do apologize, but we're having a brief pause here before the introduction, simply because I am trying to make sure that we get this recorded, and I'm having a little bit of trouble with that. So let me see here, because we are now on both YouTube and Anchor, as well as most major podcast platforms. And I'm trying to figure out how to get this to work, and I'm having a little bit of trouble, peeps. I'm sorry. Bob was always much better with camera stuff. And I'm not Bob with that kind of thing. So with that in mind, I hope you guys will be patient with me here. But today we are going to be reviewing one of Anna's favorite films ever. Let me get this up. Okay, it's loading, peeps. I'm so sorry. Okay, let's see here. Rise is not working up again. We got to turn it on. There we go. Okay. Let's see here. Hi, this is Anna, and this is Check It at the Round Table, where we discuss movies, books, music, and stuff. Today, we are discussing the Japanese BL dramas called Love Life on a Line. As some of you may recall from last year, Bob and I reviewed this drama. I will drop a link in the discussion to our review of the TV series. But since the series was released, there was a director's cut edition of the movie made, which is often happening with BL drama. Right now, they're making a bunch of miniseries, like Love Life. Um, I think another one would be like Hello Stranger, which I haven't seen, so I'm not going to say yay or nay on that one. But um, what they do is they make like these 10 to 24 minute videos, and then at the end of the release, they will then put it into a movie that is the director's cut with additional scenes that are quite helpful but they leave out of the series. So if you want to get the whole story, I always try to watch the director's cut after the miniseries is done. And honestly, life has been kind of crazy this past year with COVID and moving and, you know, work and family stuff. And in all that, I had not gotten Love Life on the Line, the director's cut, watched in total. Now I had watched the end and I was like, my goodness, this is going to be good. So this last week, I had a bunch of unpacking to do from a move, and so I decided, you know what, I am going to watch the director's cut because I am going to take a little bit of time in the midst of all this drama, and I am going to enjoy myself. So I sat down and I watched the director's cut. It was about two hours long, and it was way better in many respects than the series. The reason being is, again, we had additional scenes that explained a lot that the series had cut out, and the end alone is worth watching the two-hour production for, because the end is absolutely fantastic. And so, basically, this story, for those of you who are not familiar, is a story about Akira and Yuki, who start out as two high school students that walk a line every day home from school. And they use their imaginations to imagine, like, the one kid thinks that there is pokey ice everywhere but on the line. And the other kid thinks that there are cats or children underneath, that if he falls, it will cause him great harm. 
And so they meet on the line and realize that they both have these imaginations of what could happen if they fall off the line. And for both of them, it's a very real situation. So neither one wants to give up the line to let the other cross. So they end up basically flipping sides every time they meet. And over time, they become good friends. And Akira cannot figure out why, for reasons that are beyond him, he is not really attracted to any girls in high school. Although I will say the girl in question in high school that likes Akira would make anyone want to run and hide. I mean, no offense. And she doesn't improve with age, as people will see later on in this production. And that's the one thing I just want to mention here about BL drama. And also drama in general is that we tend to show certain characters in 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 essence typically women in BL drama I don't know why they're either extremely awesome women or they're extremely deplorable I mean there's really no middle ground here I would like to say you know there's some good examples of mediocre women in these productions because that would be better than despicable but there really aren't and what I'm talking about here, for those of you who aren't aware of it, is like, for example, in History 2 writer Wrong, um, Shiyaji's ex-wife is just a deplorable human being. I mean, I could go into great depth on the lack of honor in her, but we're not, there's not enough time in this podcast for that. And then, of course, we have Tanhan Chanlati with, Chan with Tanhan's ex-girlfriend, who is from the pit of hell. I mean, I'm not saying that there aren't women like that, but... Honestly, really, do we have to go there as an example? I mean, and it was not in the book from what I understand, although I do not read Thai yet, so I have to take that from a secondary source. But um, I don't see why we have to put things in it that are that hideous for characterizations. But Akira is in high school, and this girl wants to go out with him. And she basically asks him to go out, which again, this is very weird. I don't know if it's a Japanese drama thing where the girls ask the guys to go out with them. Like, I like you. Do you want to go on a date? And it's like, that doesn't necessarily mean the guy likes you. And number two, it doesn't necessarily mean even if they like you, they would want to go on a date with you. Okay, so I mean, we've got two situations there. But anyway, Akira says, no, I don't want to go on a date with you. And it's at this point that he realizes that the only person that he really likes to spend time with is Yuki, the kid from the line. This totally freaks him out. He does not know what to do with this information. And he really can't talk about this with his friends or his family because his mom is, again, another example of really bad um, female characterization um, where she mostly spends her time telling him that she wants him to lead a very traditional life because his sister has chosen to go abroad after college and to also go to college in a town that is far away from where they live and this has made her be deemed in unacceptable in their home. So Akira and Yuki basically start a relationship that is extremely abrupt where Akira basically one day on the line ends up embracing Yuki and Yuki just stands there and goes, I'm not sure what to do with this. And Akira runs off completely freaked out and diverges from the line that he always walks on. And Yuki's sitting there going, I don't know what just happened, but something's not okay and so he's very concerned and the next few days um, Yuki and Akira don't really meet on the line because 
Akira's avoiding Yuki. And so Yuki continues to wait on the line thinking, I want to know what's what's going on. And so eventually Akira comes back along that road and Yuki says, why why are you avoiding me? And Akira thinks that Yuki is extremely mad at him because of what happened between them. But what he finds out is that Yuki is extremely mad because Akira left the line and therefore, according to their imagination, got hit by icy spears. And that would have been terrible. And so that is what Akira is upset about. He says, I'm not upset that you embraced me. I'm upset that you ended up off the line and ended up hurting yourself in your mind. He said, that's what bothered me. And so Akira's like, oh, okay. I was worried about something that was not even a problem, really. And so they basically start a relationship as high schoolers. They're 17 at the time. And they continue to date, see each other through college. And neither one really talks to their parents about it. Now, Akira's sister does know that Akira is dating Yuki. But no one else really knows, and Yuki's family does not know that they're dating as well. They end up both getting jobs and getting an apartment together and living quite happily until they're about 28 years old. At that point, um, Akira is getting pressured from his family to get married and have a child because you're 28 years old. Oh my god. Okay, and Yuki is also being pressured by similar things. Now, Yuki, I don't mean it weird, Yuki is one of the most endearing characters I have ever seen on film, and he is just totally a sweet person. He doesn't have a mean bone in his body, which is very rare. I can only think of really one other person I've ever met in my life, and that was my great-grandfather, who was very similar in he just didn't ever say or do anything to harm a single person, at least not advertently. Now, something might happen inadvertently that was beyond his control, but he never would have done anything intentionally, and Yuki is the same way. However, Akira and Yuki start to drift apart because Yuki decides he's going to quit his job at an office and go back to become a screenwriter because he loves telling stories ever since he was a child from the line, you know, on his imagination. Um, Akira is worried because he realizes that he really, really likes Yuki and he thinks he loves him too much. And because of this, it absolutely frightens him. He thinks that this is very dangerous. What happens if you love someone too much? And honestly, he doesn't realize that you can't really care about people too much. You can care about them too. And what this leads him to do is, at the same time he's fighting these inner issues that he's not talking to Yuki about, he also has the woman from high school who said that she liked him come work at their office. He ends up deciding to break up with Yuki and go to date the woman who was... This was a very bad decision on so many different levels that we really don't have time on this podcast again to discuss. But the main reason being is he basically kicked Yuki out of their apartment. Um, Yuki had to try to figure out how, you know... He'd spent a decade with someone from the time they're 17 to 28. So a little more than that, 11 years, you know, with Akira. And Yuki is one of those people that he would not do well on his own. And it's not because he's not capable. It's not because he's not 
um, intelligent or anything like that. It's just it's not something that should have ever happened. And actually, the thing I think is interesting is Akira is the one who liked Yuki first. So if anyone's going to be um, dumping someone, this seems really, really wrong on so many different levels. But anyway, Akira ends up marrying the woman who liked him from high school. And at that point, um, things start to disintegrate about a year later. He can't handle being apart from Yuki because Yuki is a much neater person than the woman he ended up with, who basically is, I would say, one of the most, um, she will obvious, obviously, and I mean very apparently, go after something in wrong ways. And like when she... Um, comes to the office, she basically says, I always get what I want. And that really is her in a nutshell. I mean, she goes after something and she gets what she wants. But what she finds at the end of the day is maybe what she wants isn't what she needed. And that would be entirely the case with her and Akira. So at the end of a couple of years, Akira comes to his wife after spending a night out in a park, just kind of looking at the sky and going, I am not spending my life the way I need to be, even though I'm doing everything that everyone has been telling me I need to do. I have a wife, I have a house, my family's happy, but I am absolutely miserable. And so at the end of the day, Akira decides to talk to his wife. He says, you know, I should not have done what I've done, but I cannot keep living this way because it isn't fair to you and it isn't fair to... Um, it isn't fair to, I'm sorry, I just realized my computer is acting weird, peeps. I am so sorry, but it's not working. Anyway, we were going to have this on YouTube. This one's not going to be on YouTube. But anyway, but Akira decides to go and find Yuki. After his divorce is finalized, he goes and talks to his mom and dad. And he's, in the middle of that is his sister comes home with her um, fiancé, who is not from... Japan, which is a big issue, and her mother basically says he cannot come in the house, he's not going to marry you because you're going to get divorced very quickly, and everyone will say your international marriage was a failure, and she's like, mom, I've lived internationally my whole life, other than when I lived here at home, and who are you to say that me and my husband will not make it, because he doesn't happen to be Japanese, <laughs> and so in the middle of this, Akira comes home and says, and by the way, mom, just so you know, I have gotten divorced, and I am going to go find Yuki, and so if you think, you know, your daughter having an international marriage is weird, you know, your son is going to be with Yuki, if he can be, and so that would be way more unsettling for you than my sister marrying her husband, so why don't you just calm down about things a little bit? In the midst of this, Akira's father looks at him and says, you know, Yuki, live proudly. Whatever you do, just be proud of who you are, because at the end of the day, you really have to just live with yourself. I mean, yeah, you live with others, but if you're not doing what your conscience tells you to do, that's a really bad place to be. And so I did like how the dad, at the end of the day, finally said something worth saying. And it's at this point that Akira goes looking for Yuki. And he is 32 at the time, so he and Yuki have been apart for four years. He cannot find Yuki anywhere. Um, Yuki isn't using the same phone number. He isn't working for the same places. He cannot get a hold of him through 
any acquaintances. It's like Yuki has vaporized from the planet. And so he spends the next two years by himself going kind of where he and Yuki used to go as kids thinking maybe he would run into Yuki. And he's going, you know, Yuki's probably found someone else. He's probably happy. And even if he hadn't found someone else, he probably wouldn't want to be with me because I completely screwed this one up. And I'm a really quite loathable human being. And, you know, at the end of the day, Akira sees an advertisement for going to Alaska to see the Northern Lights. And it's at this point that he decides to take that trip because right before he and Yuki broke up, Yuki had wanted to save up money so that when he and Akira retired, they could go see the Northern Lights because he wanted to go see the lines in the sky like the lines on the road that they used to go as kids. The other thing about the lines is just so everyone kind of has this as a touchstone, when Akira and Yuki broke up, that night Yuki just left. He put on his coat and he left. And he ended up going onto the road that had the line. And at the end of the night, he ended up at a place that had no line because the line was gone. And that's kind of how he felt about his relationship with Akira. So anyway, sorry, little segue there. But I thought that was a really well done scene with Yuki and the line. And so Akira ends up going to Alaska and he ends up on this van and as he steps out of the van he sees a couple and for those of you who don't know I have not watched History 3 Make Our Days Count all the way. I found it kind of annoying so I did not finish that one. But anyway, um, there are two main characters in that series. Um, one is they're both high school students who then start college and those two characters are actually in Love Life on the Line, which I thought was kind of neat because you got to see a continuation of their story, which a lot of the BL dramas do do that. Like they'll add another couple characters from another series. So you have that little bit of continuation, which is really nice. But um, he sees these two characters there and he's thinking about how he and Yuki could have been there if he hadn't really screwed things up. And so as he's thinking about that and looking at the Northern Lights, he happens to be walking along a line where someone else's footsteps have been. And it's on this line that he ends up bumping into this other person. He says, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to bump into you. And as that person looks up, he sees that it's Yuki, because Yuki too had come to see the Northern Lights because he thought it would give him closure. Um, you don't really know what happened to Yuki during those let's see, six years that, uh, no, eight years that he was not with Akira. You know that he had um, tried to maybe have a relationship with some other people, but that did not go well, and um, that's all you really know. And also from his conversation, you know that he was like, I couldn't get over it. I tried to get over you. I tried to do what I could to move on with my life, but it was very, very difficult for Yuki. So Akira basically says, um, the first thing he says is, I, I care about you. I love you. And, and Yuki ends up turning around, hitting him square in the face, and then going back once he falls down and hitting Akira again with his mitten because he is madder than I'll get out. And, you know, I think the thing is, is if people are really angry about something, it's sometimes because they really, really cared about what happened and the people that it happened with. It's not necessarily because they don't care about people, it's sometimes because they really cared about something 
and it got annihilated in a way they weren't expecting. And I think with with Yuki, that's what happened. So anyway, Yuki um, hits him and then walks off. And it's at this point that Akira gets back up and basically goes and hugs Yuki so that he can't leave. And Yuki's like, let go of me. I don't want to be around you. Just leave me alone. And Akira's like, I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to let go ever again. I know you're worried that I will, but I'm not going to do that to you ever again. And it's at this point that I think, you know, simply because Akira, you know, he really did do some despicable things. He lied to himself. He lied to Yuki. He lied to his ex-wife. He lied to his family because he was trying to uphold something that he never should have been doing in the first place. And I think that the thing that does make his character somewhat redeemable, although he really did do some despicable things, is the fact that he is willing to admit, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that he totally screwed up. I mean, he's not sitting there going, you know, some mistakes were made in my administration. No, he's sitting there going, I fully take responsibility for the fact that I have screwed this all up and I am terribly, terribly sorry and I will never do that again. And you know, I think the rest of the film really does showcase that although Akira really, really did mess up things bad between him and Yuki, he did in the end do exactly what he said he would do. He never ever did that again to Yuki. I mean, the rest of the film basically shows them throughout their lives from 36 through 81. And by the time they're 81, um, Akira has passed away. Um, Yuki is still alive. Um, they both got married in when they were 40. And I love how the family did come together, um, both with the sister who had the international marriage, which the mother considered scandalous, and both with Akira and Yuki being able to come home for the holidays, which the mother would have probably considered scandalous as well. But somehow they all worked it out. And I think that's a really cool scene to see them in their late 30s all getting along with their parents and their parents getting along with the kids and the in-law children. And so with that in mind, as the story progresses, you get to see them in their 40s. And then when Yuki is 81, he is in a hospital and he um, has both his and Akira's rings on his finger because Akira has passed on. But the one ring keeps falling off, so the nurse ends up tying it around his neck so he doesn't lose it while he's in the hospital. A few days later, Yuki passes away, and it's at that point that you see this really cool scene, and I think this is worth the whole production, Awachi. And in that scene, Yuki is back to being in high school in his hospital gown and he steps out and he goes down the hall and there is this beautiful beam of light and at the end of it is Akira back in high school and you basically see them back on the line in a light-filled room um, just giving each other a hug and that's how it closes and I think that's a really really cool way to end this scene. I think if I'm right I, I have not read the mangas because the mangas are not appropriate. I don't mean it weird. Uh, da, 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 yep, yep. But the end of the manga, I believe, is similar to the end of this production. And I love that they did have that scene at the end. I thought that was a really, really cool way to end this. And I really wish we would have put that in 
the end of the TV series as well. It's kind of like how I feel about We Best Love the series, which if you guys don't know about that, that is like my favorite BL series of all time. And it's not because it's a BL, it's because it's just an amazing series. I mean, Gao Shidi and Zhao Shui are so awesome as characters, and that story is absolutely amazing, whether you're talking about Fighting Mr. Second or Number One for You, you should totally check out those Thai series. They're amazing. And they're coming out with the third in the We Best Love series, which is going to be absolutely riveting, I am sure. But anyway, I feel the same way about the end scene in Love Life on the Line as I do feel about the missing scene in We Best Love that they deleted, which I really wish they wouldn't have done, because it was the scene that explained to Zhao Shui why Gao Shidi's letters never arrived, that he sent him daily, and also why he was seen with a woman in, in America who was actually his stepsister, and the baby was his, was Gao Shidi's little brother Oscar, who he and his stepsister had taken out for a walk, and Zhao Shui came up when he came from his um, military service in Taiwan to come see Gao Shidi because it had been a year, and he walked up and saw Gao Shidi with a baby and a very attractive young woman, and he thought Gao Shidi had forgotten him, and I'm like, you know, this is why you should never jump to conclusions, and this is also why we should put deleted scenes back into TV series. I'm just saying. So anyway, I'm sorry, that's a mild digression. But that is my review of the director's cut of Love, Life, on the Line. You could watch this film with pretty much any age group, although I would skip a couple of scenes that Anna would deem um, not very appropriate for all audiences. You guys can make your own decisions there, but primarily most of this is viewable by um, all audiences. I just have a fast forward button if I have kids and we don't watch certain scenes, okay? I'm just saying. So there's a couple of scenes with Akira where he's thinking about things he shouldn't be thinking about, and also there's a scene with Yuki after the breakup, which I again would probably skip just just saying and so that is my review of Love Life on the Line director's cut I would give this series a 8 or 9 out of 10 because I really think this is an amazing um, production even just watching it for the cinematographic um, reasons it's it's so full of light and the colors are so calm and nice compared to a lot of films nowadays are filmed with very dark lenses and I think it's nice to see some that use lighter palettes and so that is my review bye bye check it at the round table